Sound Design Live. Today I talk with Bob Lentini and his PC Applications, Software Audio Console, and Software Audio Workshop. As usual, links discussed in today's post are available at sounddesignlive.com. Sound Design Live. I'm not going to ask you to read your entire biography because it's available online. And mm-hmm. I just read it today. If people want to go to rmllabs.com, mm-hmm. uh, they can see it. Um, but I do want to ask you some general questions uh, about that. Your bio online makes it sound like your life was really spontaneous. You're working in electronics repair and then recording studios and then live concerts and then software development. And it never seemed premeditated. It, you didn't have a checklist saying, I'm going to do this for five years and then this for five years. It seemed more like you were trying to make a living and at the same time following your passions. So you became an experimenter and a builder out of necessity. You wanted your own recording studio, so you built the walls and the speakers and the mixing board. And then you wanted your own mix software, so you learned how to program. Uh, do you think that's true or am I just making that up? That was actually pretty close uh, to reality. Um, definitely, I did start out, you know, after high school, went to college with a plan, you know, to take electronics engineering and so forth, went to Drexel University in, in uh, Philadelphia. And in that, during that, you know, study and and so forth, I actually found the books and the the process to be too boxed in for my taste, basically. And I was constantly having issues with teachers and so forth about, well, why does it have to be done that way? Why doesn't it make more sense maybe if you did it this way or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah? Why is that um, a locked-in thing And you know, in geometry? Why is that parallel postulate a postulate? Why isn't that a theorem that somebody can prove? You know, things like that I always ran into. So I, I, I never finished, actually. I did. It was a five-year program because it was part work and part school situation, and I never finished. I think I left after about three and a half years. And at that point, I went. I was more into, as you mentioned, it's like the necessity of getting something, you know, approaching, you know, direct, getting something accomplished more in a more direct approach rather than it has to be this way because that's what the book says and that's what that says. And obviously that has shown uh, up in all of my work, and in that sense that I generally do not follow the norm. Now, that's not to say that's better or worse than, the, you know, whatever. It just has been my, you know, there just seems to be the way things work out that I've always had other ideas of how things could be approached and managed to do what I did along the way and get results that I and, and again, many other people found to be desirable. So, again, what's right and what's wrong it isn't what it's about that. It's how, you know, why is this approach the only approach? And my software, you know, obviously goes in different directions. The way I approach sound recording, the way I approach mixing, the way I approach building my studio, mm-hmm. monitors, the design that I did with the eight speaker monitor configuration that you see in that uh, bio. The, the, everything was different because I was after results and I felt that I got the results that I was after that others were not necessarily demonstrating to me when I would look and learn. And I didn't really go after it just to be a rebel and, you know, throw it back in somebody's face that I did it different. 
I listened and looked at at the norm and what was the you know the trained skilled set you know the way to approach sound and the way to approach math and the way to approach this, and then kind of deviated from that when I felt that something could be done or handled a little differently, maybe a little more effectively, you know, so forth and get better or you know what I considered better results. So it's it really is the approach. I, you know, I got into one thing which led to another, which led to another, which led to another. And, you know, the software thing really came along because I couldn't buy what I wanted, the way one computer's got to become. And it, it uh, I wasn't real thrilled with the software, you know, that I was able to purchase. And I wasn't really thrilled with the results. And I wasn't thrilled with the approach. And so, well, let me see what I can do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I never really went after any of it with an attitude of, oh, I can do better now, and blah, blah. It was like... I'm not happy with this, but, you know, this is really a cool concept. What if we did it this way, you know? And uh, so that led me to where I am. Now, SAC, obviously, is a pretty unique piece of software right at the moment. There just isn't, at the moment, any real competitor directly now for whatever reason. Can they do it? Can they not do it? Do they want to do it, or do they think the whole idea is not worth doing? So there's really no reasons why, other than when you look around, it's certainly not something I copied from you know, the rest of the industry. It is a unique approach, and I, for one, love it. And now, thankfully, you know, we're starting to see thousands of people start to think it's a pretty cool idea. <laughs> so for people who don't know, Software Audio uh, Workshop is a digital audio work station, uh, like a recording software. Like it's an alternative approach to old Samplitude, Logic, you know, sure. all of them. And Software Audio Console is, is basically... That, but without the recording capability, it's just the mixer. It was just the mixer, but again, and then expand it more than one mixer now, a whole new approach to monitors and so forth in the live mixing world that pretty much could never been done physically. Uh, now that it's virtual in the sense that it's all software, we were able to go down a whole nother design uh, paradigm, basically, and open up multiple consoles, each performer up to 24 performers getting their own console which is pretty interesting once you climb, you know, cross over that bridge. For me and for most, it's pretty tough to go back to an off-stand for a monitor. Well, one attitude that I really like about my dad is that something comes up that he has to work on that he's never had experience with before. Most people's initial reaction is, oh, I don't want to have to mess with that. So I'll either hire someone to do that part of the job or I'll find some other solution for it. But then when you think about it for a second, why wouldn't I want to know that? You know, Why wouldn't I want to know how to build my own website or program uh, my own piece of software to do this particular task? So it seems like you've probably had that attitude a lot too. Well, I actually enjoy those challenges. You know, I want to learn as much as I can. I was always that way, just as in my general nature or personality. So that wasn't, a, you know, an alien kind of a thing for me. Um, I, I am kind of actually amazed and, you know, and I would have to say kind of almost slightly disappointed in some cases the way I see certain people react to stuff like SAC, especially obviously more so than SAW in the sense that SAC is so alien and so different of a concept to what they're used to. And their initial reaction, it's it's amazing how much of the initial reaction seems to be one of fear and distrust and 
you know, and, and freak out about, well, I don't need to have to learn something. I'm an audio engineer. I, this board should work exactly like every other board I was on. And I'm actually, it actually freaks me out. It kind of amazes me that people seem to have that. There's more of that tendency than I would have ever imagined, you know, coming up in my face where people are upset because this is different instead of grasping on the difference and going, wow, this is cool. I've never seen anything like this. I, you know, I want to learn how to master every detail of this. But instead, they're all pissed off if they have to learn something, it seems. And uh, that's just something that surprises me because I'm certainly not like that. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like I'm excited to see something. You know, as long as it works, as long as it gets. It would be funny, and but also sort of a good idea if you just had a little note pop up as soon as SAC opens that says, with this software you'll have to expand your awareness or you'll have to learn some new things, but it'll all pay off really, in God the forbid, end. <laughs> you know, you have to learn something. You have to read. I mean, they really freak out. It's like, what, I have to read the help file? What is that? The attitude of a lot of skeptics is that they act like it's trying to solve all problems, which it's not. You never claim that it's trying to solve all problems. It's just another tool, right? And it's a great tool uh, for those that resonate with the idea. And it's a horrible story. You know, it's a hor- horrifying thing for those that resist and fight, you know, uh, and I certainly don't recommend it, you know, to anybody who's going to fight the idea. If you want to argue that you have to have your 24 faders, then this isn't for you to explore. And now, though, when I, I laugh because I look at all these big consoles, you know, they come out with an 8-foot control service, a $9,000 such-and-such board, and when you look at the marketing now and where it's gone, what's the big marketing push? They're, they're bragging about how they can now mix on their iPad. <laughs> so what good is this big giant control service? Why would I pay ninety thousand dollars to have this tooled up when you're telling me the, the coolest thing is is to go out in the audience with your iPad? Exactly. And see, I'm the... laughing because literally, Saul Sack was designed to work virtually without the need for a control surface, whereas these guys are still designed around a control service, but now they've added on the ability to give you a few faders on an iPad. And it's it's interesting that that's the big marketing push now. If you really look, everybody's standing there with their ad holding up their iPad with a couple of faders on. Exactly. So I'm laughing because I mean I've obviously promoted this idea for over 20 years. This is actually 92, so it's almost 20 years. 19 years. 1992 is when I demoed the SAC concept for the first time. You know, at AES in in San Francisco, and it's, so it's almost 20 years later. And now, 20 years after you've introduced it, I think it's a lot easier argument to make because so many people are recording and mixing with a mouse in their home studio already. And so that's what I usually tell people. I say, you know, if you're already mixing and recording with a mouse and a keyboard at home, then this could be something that you're into. Well, it's live. You know, you got to grab this and do this and this all live. You know what I tell people? I mean, I've been in the business for 45 years now, you know, both live and studio split over those 45 years and the reality is if i'm standing and watching some audio engineer behind a console and he's jumping around like an octopus and his hands are all over the place like an octopus you know what his mix is messed up his mix is, <laughs> something's wrong with the gain structure the trim something's wrong with his basic eq you know blah 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 something's wrong you should not be back there looking like an octopus pulling your hair out, running all over the place. And the best sound I've ever heard in any concert or any event or anything like that, when I look back and that engineer is sitting back and just grooving with the music, and once in a while he reaches over and pushes this button and grabs this fader and pushes this button and 
does this and does that, and he's certainly not all frantic back there like an octopus. And in the reality, that's exactly what I observed long before, back to 20 years ago when I started this concept. When I started working on this concept, first thing I asked myself, was it going to be possible? Could you really mix live shows with a mouse, you know, or with some small little thing compared to a big concert? And when I observed myself doing the best mixes I've ever done, when I observed the people that I worked with and learned from and trained with, and I listened and observed the best shows, the best shows were when we were relaxed, sitting back, and we were not frantic and going nuts. We realized we were only grabbing really one thing at a time most of the time. My first uh, question when I first saw it was, is it available for the Mac? And it's not. So I, I wonder if you could just address that real quickly for people who are going to have that initial reaction. You know, the code itself is extremely complex. And, it's, and the only reason I, I claim that it works in today's computers with the speed, you know, the limits that we have at this point, which are pretty amazing, uh, you know, no question about it. But again, to do real-time live streaming processing like this, you have to look at something like a Midas XL8, and you'll look at the mix engine alone is like an 11 rack space DSP, multiple DSP-based shark processor engine. That mix engine alone is about $130,000 worth of hardware as well as software in order to process one console. Wow. And you've got to realize that SAC is doing all of that times 25 consoles, you know, front of house plus 24 monitor consoles, using a stock CPU that you can buy off the shelf. Even a $200 laptop can handle a 24 or 32-channel kind of scenario. Okay, mm -hmm. so the reality is the code is the big issue, is a big part of the issue here. It's complex. It is all hand-coded assembly that allows me to get the same kind of performance or higher performance, actually, than your Midas, you know, mix engine that takes up 11 rack spaces or whatever it takes up, you know. So the, the interesting thing is this code is, you know, truly been worked on and tweaked and, and detailed. And again, this is not so transferable. Okay, Mac OS is drastically different than Windows OS, is drastically different than, you know, other Linux OS, is drastically different than any kind of real, real-time OS. None of these are really real-time. You know, the new Intel Macs obviously can run SAC and Sol with the Intel assembly code the way it is, just by flipping over to boot camp and, of course, loading Windows. But, yes, you are running Windows. You're not going to necessarily, and when I observe Macs, to be honest with you, and I observed the Linux, you know, operating system that it went to, and I watched word processors and looked at things and looked at screen redraws and speed. I've come to find that the Mac, is, in my book, doesn't even come close to reaching the performance potential levels of the PC. The bottom line is it's a tool. Then other consoles or Yamahas are running whatever. They're running Linux-based, you know, motherboard, blah, blah, blah. So in reality, it's just a tool, and that PC or Mac... If you're a Mac head, great. Keep your Mac for everything. But when it comes time, if you want to jump into this virtual land of consoles and replace a $100,000 venue with 25 consoles for $10,000, guess what? You're on a, you're being, you know, it runs on a PC. So for this event, you're going to use the PC right. because the Mac isn't doing it. So it's really about which tool does the job, you know. And many people have properly said, I look at the software that I want to do the job, whether it's video editing, this or that. I pick my favorite software, and then I will buy the hardware that that stuff, you know, works the best on. Sure. Um, when people find out that I'm mixing on a computer, they get nervous. Uh, 
and they say, what if it crashes? My first response is always, yeah, well, it might, but so might any other piece of equipment that we have here. And if it does, we'll have to deal with it just like any other piece of gear. That being said, that hasn't failed yet. And that's what I had to tell people a lot when I was on tour. No, it's not even that. My answer reply to that is now, what do you use now? Oh, a, a Yamaha 5D. Well, really? Well, what do you think's in that box? It's a computer. It's a motherboard with a computer. The difference is you don't have access to the computer. So when that goes down, you're screwed. <laughs> when my SAC system, if it ever goes down, guess what? If I'm, you know, in the afternoon at some venue, I can most likely run in and, and get some kind of an accounting machine or something and get the shawl up. The difference is you're running computers now and you're just not aware of it. What do you think's in a venue? What do you think's in a Digico? What do you think's in an iLive? What do you think's in a Midas? What do you think's in all these consoles? Now, unless you're back on analog consoles, fine. But then, you know, you're talking a whole nother ballgame. You don't even have compressors on your channels. You know, now you've got a lack of external things that you're patching and this and that. So, you know, anything's capable of going down. Plus all your ground loops and everything. We eliminate all of that stuff. So, yes, it can go down, no question. But you know what? What do you think the lighting people are using? They've been using computers for 20 years. That's all they run is a computer. What happens if the lights go down? Your show's down, isn't it? You're not going to perform in the dark. So most <laughs> likely, while the lighting board goes down, the show is down, and somebody else might come out and do 20 minutes of entertaining or comedy. The bottom line is people are going to frantically be desperately trying to get the lighting computer back up. So Shaq is really no more of a threat, as far as I'm concerned, in, in today's Live venue scenario, 90% of the equipment is computer-based. What's the most common mistake people are making in their setups that leads to problems? The fastest single processor will work the best for this scenario. It will give you the most stable ride with the least issues like slip buffers and, inter you know, and, and you know, messed up screen displays and so forth and all the kinds of little nuances that can get very complex with serious multiprocessing. The whole engine is very complex, all multi-threads that have to synchronize precisely. Multiprocessors can break the sync, and that's a design issue. Okay? We want to say flaw. You know, it's not that we're placing blame anywhere, but it just so happens that the current design architecture with Intel and most computers that you and I can buy is such that with multiprocessors, they break the prioritizing of threads and on different CPUs. So the real reality is on a single CPU, my code has a much better chance of controlling the synchronicity of the threads. This thread has to process before this thread. This thread when this thread needs time, you know, when demands CPU time, it gets it because it's got a higher priority and so forth. When you go to multiprocessors, two and four processors, that breaks. So an idle, uh, an idle priority thread on a second processor can step on a real-time critical priority thread on the first processor, and that's the issue. And that is an architectural hardware design issue with shared memory. And that's something people don't want to know about because it breaks all the hype. It breaks down all the hype about multiprocessors being that much more sure. powerful. So, Bob, sure. I imagine that there's a lot of theater professionals like myself out there who use SAC for mixing and then some other software like QLab or SFX for playback. Right. Um, what do you think is the best way to run those in tandem? Should the playback software be on a separate computer um, or are computers powerful enough to run both pieces of software on the same machine and route the audio internally? They're powerful enough, I think, but 
the stability becomes the concern for me. Um, introduce anything else you introduce in the background. You know, that's why I suggest clean out windows, get rid of background processes, you know, just strip, streamline that thing down as best you can just with the necessity of what you need. Running other software, which unfortunately I'm going to suggest is written in C++, is written in com object language, is written in all these things that are prone to, and, and to stability problems because they're based on thousands of registry entry links and hooks and based on thousands upon thousands of links out to DLLs all over the, the operating system. This stuff can cause instability. So to be honest with you, yeah, you know, it, uh, putting that on its own machine and looping it back in or doing what you have to do just seems to make a little bit more sense in the sense that you don't want a, 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 an issue there on a playback rig or whatever bringing down your whole PA system. Right. SAC and SOL combination are phenomenal on the same machine because of the internal links so that you don't need splitters, you don't need extra cabling and everything else to, you know, record live performances that are, you know, 40 and 50 track, you know, channels big. Yeah, I have a, a you know, an audio player coming, you know, that oh, I've been great. working on that, you know, is, you know, will be like a plug-in, a native plug-in that fits on a SAC channel or multiple SAC channels, and you can even synchronize them together is the plan. So the idea is you have playback, you know, a plug-in that pops up, there's your your playback list right there. It'll cross-fade between things. You can set fade-ins, fade-outs, this, that, and the other. So it'll be very geared for live show, you know, and theater kind of playback. It will also have a pop-up module of trigger buttons and stuff for sound effects where you can load individual sound effects. That'll be labeled and so forth, very much like SFX and some of the other kind of stuff. And it will be MIDI-triggerable. It will be scene-triggerable. It'll actually be triggerable from SAC running, SAW running in the background on the control track. So that kind of thing is coming. Talking about the link between SAW and SAC, I want to share a technique I've been using recently working in theater. I record a rehearsal using all the mics and channels that will be used for the final production. Then later, when everyone is gone, I'll play that recording back through the sound system and use it to set my EQ, dynamics, effects, and scene memories in SAC. It's exactly what that link is for. We call it the virtual band when we're talking about bands and concert stuff where we'll record, you know, record 20 minutes of the sound check and then they can leave and we can now play back that sound check as if the band was still on stage and start doing all the stuff that is annoying to people standing on stage waiting while we do it. Sure. You know, in that sense, we can start to tweak and balance out certain monitor mixes and feeds and get things signals rooted to where we want them rooted and all this kind of stuff while the band's not up there. Bob, what's your favorite controller slash fader bank to use with SEC? You know, really none because I don't, generally don't use them, but... You know, out of the three main ones that were that really are handled well, the, you know, the Bonger for the cheapest way in, obviously. The Motor Mix is a good in-between in that sense. Again, you have to find them used generally on eBay, but they're, they're much better built, obviously, and well-built. Um, and then really the current one that's still available is the Mackie line, you know, that Mackie MCU and or the MCU extender. Now we just, you know, modified a template just to run the little eight-channel extender by itself so you don't have to buy the whole uh, MCU master unit. Um, so in that sense, to me, those would be my favorite. The, the, the you know, the motor mix and the Mackie are nice because they have the, the little scribble strip, you know, with the display. The Mackie has a nicer display with more characters. The motor mix is only four characters or something like that. And of course, the Berenger has no display. Um, 
to me, that's all that's needed. One of those eight channel packs can really cover all 72 channels on all 25 mixers. A lot of the guys are putting, you know, really a 16 channel pack, you know, two of the motor mixes, two of the Behringer's. You can go up to four on the Behringer's. You can go up to three now on the motor mix. You can only do one on the Mackie. For me, any controller at all past eight, I find no use for. The theater guys that are on the forum argue vehemently that they need at least 16 or 24 faders to do what they do. Again, I'm uh. going to suggest my argument is that you're looking like an octopus up there. If something's wrong, you need to streamline things so you're not an octopus. But, again, I'm not out there doing Broadway you know, book shows every day, so I'm not going to take a stand and say I know everything. Bottom line, my, my assessment of everything I've seen and all the variations of audio and sound that I've been involved in over my career, which is 45 years long, I guarantee you I could streamline down your thing so you could get it done on eight faders, you know, or whatever. This is a question that can pretty easily be answered by going to the SAC forum, but it's one of the first questions that I think people have when they're using SAC to do something like monitor mixes or multi-channel audio for theater, um, what's the best way to set up to get mono outputs? So in general, my first thing to say, if you want mono, so just use the left output and keep all the pans in the middle, and there's your mono. And then skip that output, that's a stereo pair, move on to the next stereo pair, and you're not going to be hurt. Bottom line, when you're really out of outputs and you need a four-wedge mono mix and you can't just skip the next output, then basically you do it on the output master section. So on the output master, master number one, that's driving that floor wedge, it's being assigned to a stereo pair, basically, of outputs because that's the way these devices and windows and everything, and that's just the way the code, it's more comfortable for the code. The reality is there's a mono switch on the output master. So you hit the mono switch. Now anything that you have left and right into the thing will come out even on both sides. And then if you really just want to use the left side for this wedge and the right side of that pair for a completely different wedge in the mix, you just hit the mono button on the master out and pan that master out left. Now when you flip to another mixer and you want to use up that other right side of that pair, you can assign the output of that next mixer to the same stereo device pair and you will use the mono switch and pan right on the master out, and you are now passing this entire monitor mixer to the right side of that same device, basically. Joe Schmo just is never going to own a $95,000 DigiDesign venue console, and that's just the way it is, okay? You know, so there's tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of musicians and audio, uh, you know, people and everything that are never going to buy a $100,000 console. This then became very attractive because essentially it's giving them the same power and not only the same, but really a lot more. And yet they can build it in their garage. I mean, how many of us ever dreamed that we could build a neat console in our garage? Okay, well, here you are. You can build 25 of them in your garage. Sound design. Live. <laughs>